On the 10th of July, 2008, Filipino-Canadian film critic and film professor Alexis Tioseco appeared on ANC's weekly media affairs show, Media in Focus. With his profound knowledge and eloquence, 28-year-old Tioseco made a lasting impression on both the audience and the industry. Throughout the interview, Tioseco showcased his deep understanding and passion for Southeast Asian cinema, particularly in the Filipino film industry. However, just a year later, tragedy struck when Alexis Tioseco and his Slovenian girlfriend Nika Bohink fell victim to a heinous act of violence. In the late hours of September 1st, 2009, the couple returned to their residence nestled in Quezon City. As they arrived at the home, they were met with a harrowing scene that unfolded before their eyes. The house had been ransacked and they saw three men recklessly rifling through their personal belongings. But before they could fully comprehend the gravity of the situation, they came face to face with the chilling sight of a gun pointed at them. Then, you're listening to Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by MediaCorp and produced by OneUp Media. This episode contains scenes of graphic imagery and violence. Listener discretion is advised. Alexis Tioseco was born in the Philippines, but later moved with his family to Canada in 1983. Even while residing abroad, his connection to his Filipino roots remained strong, and he developed a profound fascination with Philippine cinema from a young age. In his early years, he recognized the rich artistic and cultural heritage of his home country and saw the power of film as a medium for storytelling. This passion for Philippine cinema would become a driving force in his life's work. With a history spanning over a century, Philippine cinema has witnessed distinct and notable eras, often referred to as the Golden Ages. These pivotal periods include the 1930s and early 40s, marked by the establishment of major film studios. During the post-war 40s and 50s, another significant era emerged, characterized by a cinematic revival that originated beyond Manila, particularly in the Visayas, one of the three main island groups of the Philippines. During the 1970s to early 1980s, a significant wave of talented directors emerged and left their mark on the industry. Among these notable filmmakers were Mike De Leon and Ishmael Bernal, who each contributed unique perspectives and styles to the cinematic landscape. Mike De Leon earned a reputation for his meticulous attention to detail and his keen eye for social commentary while Ishmael Bernal delved into themes of faith, fanaticism, and the intricacies of human nature. Alexis had a deep respect for the cinematic giants who had come before him. Rather than being intimidated, he saw their accomplishments as a foundation upon which he could build his own contributions to Philippine cinema. By his early 20s, 
he was a strong advocate for the cinematic works of the region and played a pivotal role in propelling the global standing of the Filipino film industry. In 2005, Tio Seco's significant contributions to the field were acknowledged by the Philippine Star, which named him as one of the most important young people in the Philippines today. Driven by his passion for Southeast Asian cinema, Alexis established a website called Criticin.com, which became a virtual space dedicated to exploring and analyzing the diverse cinematic works of Southeast Asia. The website served as a hub for film enthusiasts. It provided a wealth of valuable content, including in-depth film reviews, compelling articles that spark thought and discussion, and comprehensive coverage of film festivals and events throughout Southeast Asia. This platform quickly garnered attention and acclaim. In particular, it had caught the attention of Filmmaker magazine, which hailed it as arguably the most influential, intelligent blog of Southeast Asian cinema. Throughout his career, Alexis Tioseco became renowned for his unwavering commitment to exposing foreign audiences to the richness of Philippine independent cinema. However, he often worked long hours as he had to conduct meticulous research and frequently collaborate with various film organizations and festivals. As a result, the path he chose did not come without its challenges and personal sacrifices. Alexis often had to separate himself from loved ones, including his partner, Nika Bohink. In 2007, Alexis and Nika crossed paths for the first time at a film festival in Rotterdam. This particular meeting occurred during a time when both of them were facing personal challenges. And as Alexis himself put it, they were not in the best state of mind. At the time, Alexis was dealing with the difficulties of adapting to life in Manila without the presence of his father, who had recently passed away. He also found himself physically separated from his mother and siblings, as they were all back in Canada. Meanwhile, Nika was in the midst of finalizing an issue of a Slovenian film magazine she had been tirelessly editing for over a year. However, the dedication and hard work had taken a toll on her, leaving her physically unwell and emotionally drained. In a piece written by Alexis, he expresses his feelings about Nika. He describes how, from the very first moment he saw her, there was something special about her that immediately caught his attention. It went beyond her physical beauty. What truly struck Alexis was the way she spoke, the eloquence, and the way she expressed herself. He writes, I know sometimes you may think that it was the fact that we both worked in the same field that attracted me to you. But I must tell you that this couldn't be farther from the truth. Why? Because one of the greatest joys I believe one can feel is to share that which they find beautiful with someone who otherwise wouldn't have noticed it and to see it appreciated. On the 30th of August, 2009, Alexis organized a gathering at his house to bid farewell to his girlfriend Nika, who was scheduled to return to Slovenia that week. The gathering took place on a tranquil Sunday evening and it didn't last very long because many guests had to work the following day. Additionally, the air conditioning in the house was either not functioning or inadequately cooling the humid night air, causing everyone to grow even more tired. Erwin Romulo, one of the people invited to the event, 
was one of the last few to leave. According to an article he wrote about the event, he had the opportunity to have a private conversation with Alexis. Alex, are you okay? Erwin asked as he noticed Alexis with a look of concern on his face. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm just worried she's leaving. Ever since she's moved here, I've been extremely happy. But I know that she hasn't adjusted well to living in Manila. Erwin assured him that everything would be all right. However, despite his words of encouragement, Alexis remained uncertain. Two days later, on Tuesday, September 1st, 2009, Alexis and Nika were out for dinner with some friends. Records state that Alexis was diligent when it came to his household affairs. Alexis had employed two domestic helpers to assist with various tasks. Magdalena Patpat, one of the helpers, had been diligently serving the household for over six years, while 46-year-old Criselda Dayag was a recent addition to the household staff. Although Criselda had a clearance permit from the local Quezon City Police Department, she lacked the required clearance from the National Bureau of Investigation. Despite this, Alexis still chose to hire her, possibly driven by empathy or understanding. Criselda officially began working for the Teoseco household on July 1st, 2009, but Alexis still had his concerns about the potential risks, and as a result, instructed his other helper, Magdalena, to test her out and keep a close eye on her. Over the following months, nothing went missing and nothing was destroyed. Criselda had proved herself to be a valuable addition to the household. However, on this particular day when the couple was away for dinner, Criselda approached Magdalena with something to say. Sister, I'm just going out to the convenience store to grab something. I'll be back soon. I need to call my father too. Okay, I'll be in the room. Around 7.45pm, Magdalena's attention was caught by the sound of Aster, the trusted household dog. Immediately, she found this unusual. Aster was typically familiar with her and would happily wag his tail whenever she approached. She also understood that Aster rarely barked. So if he did bark, it must have been because he sensed something out of the ordinary. Curious, she went out to the porch, looking around at the garage and past Aster. She noticed Criselda, who was standing near the dog's enclosure. Criselda appeared to be completely absorbed in her phone, oblivious to the incessant barking of Aster. Magdalena then scanned her surroundings, looking for a sign that might have prompted Aster's barking. But she found nothing. No reason, really, for Aster to be barking. There were no strangers or intruders. Afterwards, Magdalena returned to the bedroom, and Criselda followed suit. They both sat on their beds and watched TV. However, before long, Criselda left the room once again, this time exhibiting signs of restlessness. Outside the home, Aster barked again. Immediately, Magdalena went outside once more, passing by the bench in the garage where Criselda was now seated. She then walked to the gate and opened it, allowing her to gaze out into the street. Yet, as she surveyed her surroundings, nothing appeared out of the ordinary. The familiar sight of passing cars and the intensifying noise of crickets 
were the only sounds echoing through the night. Satisfied that everything seemed normal, Magdalena went back inside the house and used the bathroom. As she exited the bathroom, a man with his face covered swiftly grabbed her from behind, tightly covering her mouth with his hand. In a chilling whisper, he warned her, "Don't, Don't scream. scream. We will we'll kill, you. kill you." Another masked man walked in and tightly grasped her arm, preventing her from moving. Meanwhile, a third man, the only one whose face she would catch a glimpse of, pulled out a handgun and pointed it in her direction. As she stood there, trembling with fear, she could feel the presence of something sharp and cold, pressed against her back. Magdalena was forcefully pushed back into a room, where the intruders proceeded to tightly bind her arms with rough ropes. To further silence her, they forcefully placed a face towel in her mouth, followed by another towel that covered her entire face. But before her vision was obscured, she gave a desperate look to Criselda. What she saw chilled her to the core. Criselda appeared unnervingly composed. Devoid of any visible emotion, she was seated on her own bed, merely observing the scene unfold before her eyes. In the suffocating darkness, she heard the sound of adhesive tape being unspooled, followed by the unsettling sensation of the towel being tightly secured around her head. As she lay there, hogtied and bound, Magdalena's ears captured the sound of the television being switched on in the main kitchen. A space where Alexis and Nika typically use their laptops, she recognized the sound of the daily news being aired, but a pungent scent of cigarette smoke permeated the air, which indicated that the intruders were still around. As her mind raced with fear, she realized that the men weren't simply there to ransack the house; they were waiting for something. In the midst of her agony, tears welled up in Magdalena's eyes. As she began to whisper prayers to herself, desperately hoping for some kind of divine intervention. Two hours later, the doorbell rang. Alexis and Nika had returned home. It's now past midnight, and Magdalena could hear the sound of police officers entering the room. Ma'am, are you okay? Are you hurt? An officer said as he untied her. Immediately, Magdalena rushes into the kitchen and lets out a deafening scream. The scene that greets her eyes is horrifying. The once pristine floor is now marred by a chilling pool of blood, and crimson red footprints are left all around the house. With tears streaming from her eyes, she races to the garage and discovers the car missing. Magdalena's mind is consumed by one burning question: Where the hell is Criselda? That's coming up in the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by MediaCorp and produced by OneUp Media. If you would like to share some feedback or suggest other cases that you would like us to cover, head on down to our website at asiantruecrimepodcast dot com. 
This episode was researched, produced, and written by Yeo Gong Jin, with audio engineering by Ethan Sam. Special thanks to executive producer Danny Cody from Media Corp. We hope to see you again soon in the next episode of Heinous.